Uh, you see who it is, man. Maceo, what goes on? Maceo, what goes on? Peace, Mike. <laughs> you missed your line. You're supposed to say, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> My bad. <laughs> uh, see, I, I threw that alley-oop because yeah. that was actually one of the first DJ MC moments that I remember back in the day. I was like, really? They get, you know, it, there were others, but that was the one that stood out with the beat and everything. And people don't know what I'm talking about. That was um his part of uh, Biddy's in the BK Lounge, right? Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, by the way, that's available for streaming right now in case you didn't realize. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Ain't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. So, so let's get right in. Uh, in case you don't recognize this guy, man, it's my man Maceo De La Soul. Um, Mace, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this from my perspective, just because I didn't realize it at the time. De La Soul's music wasn't streaming, and I didn't know it because I I have access to all of your stuff. You know, whether it's on my my, my iPod or or just in my crates or on a hard drive with a vinyl. I didn't realize until, you know, well in, you know, in, in the mid 2000s that it wasn't streaming. Right. And, you know, it's well documented that that was, you know, due to, I guess you call it contra contract con conf conflicts. Contra contractual conflict. Yeah. Right. And, and um, for people who don't realize it, they just didn't anticipate back then that the digital age would exist. So they didn't know how to split that bread. And I guess y'all couldn't get, you know, y'all couldn't agree on that in order for them to release it or how did that work out? Well, in our situation was a little more unique than everyone else's. Um, Tommy Boy, not only didn't the language exist, but moving forward, when we did renegotiate with Tommy Boy, there was some language implemented mm. uh, that would be like uh, that that most labels started implementing after the after the late eighties. Anyway, uh, they were starting they started to implement the universe right. instead instead of the world. Yes, you know. So when they implemented the universe, it's. It, it it made it open for mediums such as the internet or maybe even going out in the space, you right. know? Yeah. So um to Tommy Boy's demise, they folded. So whatever renegotiations there was with us, it was all in breach. Right. Once they folded, it didn't like we left, they left, you yeah. know. So all the contracts are null and void. You know, it's, it's pretty much like doing a new deal for old music. Yeah. So Tom Silverman at the time was trying to revert back to a very old contract that wasn't even the contract that we even renegotiated on, you know? Yeah. Him trying to revert back all the way to 89 was just, just asinine for the business that we had continued to do, you know, the value of what we developed to be and what we learned of our own value. It's just signing that Tommy boy deal would have just been a, it would have been something that was just been done just for the sake of putting the music out. And, and we would have been in the same kind of rut. It would have, it would have literally been like a cotton picking contract. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and, and it would have been, 
it would have been on my own recognizance. You get me once, you can't get me twice. Right. You know what I mean? And even in the first time, I can't even say it was a bad deal. It was a bad, it was a great deal based on my situation. Yes. It was also a great deal based on the era that we was in, you know, and what was also considered market value at that time. Because I can't sit here and say Tommy Boy was the only one giving out these contracts, you know. We want to throw them under the bus, but pretty much that was just like real estate. It was, it was the market. It was industry that standard. That's the terminology right there. Yes. So, and at some point, we supersede. We superseded the industry standard. It was no longer standard. All right, and, and let's get into that. I remember um, I was I was at the University of Richmond um, doing my mix show. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'd um, actually had a good rapport with the promo people at Tommy Boy. Uh, shout out to uh, Albie Ragusa. Okay, Albie. And I, re I remember when he um, sent a cassette and it was your first album on cassette. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it was and it was the weirdest thing that I ever heard in my life that I listened to until, like if you don't remember cassette, you used to be able to rub the words off of it from putting it in and out of the deck so much. I didn't even <laughs> need the words on it because I had memorized it and I ran it to death. I took it to the record store and I was like, yo, have y'all heard this? And the record store didn't have it at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were like, what is this? And I, I De La Soul. Mm -hmm. And let's go back to that. Let's go back to the, um, that first album or right before it came out. What was it that, that made you? And, um, and if you feel comfortable speaking for the, for the group, what was, was it that made you say, you know what? I want to do music, you know, as a living. Um, I, I can't say it was about doing music for a living. It was about doing music because we loved it. Um, at that time, it didn't seem like um, music really presented any economic opportunity, you know, but there was this thing happening. Here it is. We didn't have a name for it yet. Hip hop. You know, and it was happening, you know, behind DJing, b-boying, breakdancing, writing graffiti, lacing up your sneakers a certain way, you know, even down to watching karate flicks. All of that played a big part of this developing culture, you know, um, getting 360 waves in your hair and all that, you know, um, all these different facets that played a significant part of the culture that was like very exciting, the energy that was brewing, especially for my era in particular. My era in particular, there was an era before us that we was watching with our uncles, you know, when this whole thing gave birth in 73, you know, so there was a developing thing, especially if you spent time living in the boroughs, you know, and I spent a significant time living in Brooklyn before I moved to Long Island. So seeing sound system culture, seeing how this whole thing developed, you know, behind being a little kid just riding a big wheel and seeing this thing just growing. I gravitated more to turntables and records than I did toys, you know? Right, let, let's talk about that. The, um, the importance of the DJ in hip hop. Of course, um, for those who don't realize it, it's it's generally accepted that it was the DJ that birthed hip hop. 
as a culture, or at least made sure that the ripple effect happened around the world. What was it that made you say, you know, it started with Cool Herc, documented, yes. uh, started with Cool Herc, first party at Central Casita up in the Bronx. So obviously the DJ was the first MC and the DJ come from Jamaica, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and Jamaican culture, the DJ is actually the MC, you know, um, and trying to transcend it to that one guy that would come up or one girl that would come up and have um, a book full of poetry or a mind, you know, memorized full of poetry that that person, that that poet then turned into what we call the MC. Mm -hmm. You know, the MC has always been the master of ceremony, but then it became the poet, you know. Right. Instead of being the one who's doing, talk about throw your hands in the air, doing all the crowd participation stuff, um, it became someone who had stories to tell, had uh, a bravado to talk nonsense to the other MCs. The gift or, of gab. Yeah, the gift of gab, yeah. You know, I mean, that it, from the art of playing the dozens, you know? So it all came next to poetry and rhythm and and rocking next to the DJ, who was the one-man band of this thing called hip-hop. I, who was it, or was it a was it a thing, a time, or a person that got you into hip-hop? Not discovering it or, you know, letting it wash over you, but being an active participant. To be an active part, well, to making my strides to be an active participant in... I guess you want to say making records? Yeah. Or, or, um, or, you know, up to the point where you're making records. Well, prior to making records, it was my uncle. Well, you know, it was one of my uncles, my uncle Cliff, another dude by the name of Rick, who was like an older brother to me. He was the first to let me touch his turntables. And I was like six years old at that time. Um, uh, there was Ron C, there was Butchie, rest in peace Butchie, there was Loki. These are the guys who were like set up sound systems uh, at every block party on Hancock and Marcy in Brooklyn, you know? And then um, then making my way out to Long Island in 84. But before moving to Long Island, what gave me the inspiration to want to go to the studio and start making records Mm -hmm. was the song It's Yours by Tila Rock and Jazzy J. That was the record that set it off for me to say I want to make records now. Prior to that, it was all about just kind of preparing for your neighborhood party or block party or something like that or getting up around your friends and just saying who who could really be clever with the freestyle and uh, who could really be clever with writing, tagging their name. Anything that had anything to do with hip-hop it was all about trying to one up your friend. Right. I speaking yeah. of hip hop, um, De La Soul, um, you, Paz, uh, rest in peace, Dave. Um, what was that moment where you realized, yo, people rock with us, man? Um, the moment finding out people rock with us, well. We had a unique situation getting a record deal. Um, we realized people were rocking with us when it was um, multiple offers for the single. 
It was multiple offers for the single, so that was a little nerve nerve wracking. What know, single? Have, what single was that? Single was Plug Tuning and Freedom of Speak with uh, Strictly Dan Stuckey as one of our first skits, and um, that was um, that was an opportunity that was overwhelming because it wasn't like everyone else. It wasn't like we got turned down. We had a couple of offers on the table, which was like, wow, you know, but I believe it had a lot. It definitely had a lot to do with the record. I guess Prince Paul's involvement, obviously, and also Daddio from Stet, who played a significant part in shopping the demo because he was on fire like he no pun intended, because <laughs> they do have an album called On Fire. On, fire. <laughs> on Tommy Boy. Yeah, on Tommy Boy at that. But um, um, Daddy at the time, he had produced Milk and Giz. He had a few records out there, something with MC Light. He had a, he had a few, uh, he had some production out there aside of what he was doing with Stat, you know? So his name rung out throughout the industry. So he helped Paul shop the demo. And we had a couple of options and we ended up going with Tommy boy for obvious reasons. You know, Prince Paul was there. It seemed like it was a bit of protection there, you know, right. Some also, familiarity. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, there was something about Monica Lynch. Yeah. That was warm welcoming as well. You know, she really, she really embraced us from day one, you know, and then Dante Ross, he got the job around the same time. So it was a fresh beginning for everyone. I think Monica, even at the time, had became the president. And she wasn't the president that long. You know, right. she may be the president maybe two, three years. I have to tell you, my favorite promotional item ever. Y'all put out, um, hey, 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 ring, ring, ring. And you did, uh -huh. and you did customized... Um, answering machine messages. Uh -huh. oh, yo, dude, I was that guy. I never, <laughs> I never answered my phone just so that it would ring and, and, and they would hear y'all shout me out on my no, answering no. machine. And no, you know, no. they'll start leaving the messages. The young kids don't understand the concept of, of, of answering machines from back in the day with the cassette. Right. right. I think I ran they, that until they, the they know, they know voicemail. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let, let, let's, um, Let's get to the uh, the the daylight catalog, man. I I know all these songs in my head. Yes, but but until you sit back and turn around and look, you don't realize the volume of records that Daylight put out. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you this: I was mad before you had your stuff streaming. I remember y'all set it up so that people could download everything. I yeah. want to say it was like six or seven years ago. It was uh, about 10 years ago. It was um, when we were celebrating a little over 10 years ago. It was uh, it was the 20th anniversary. Okay. And, and, and y'all had some things. Available. Yeah. The music wasn't available. So we ended up sharing the music from a, a, a site that was already pirating the music. Hold <laughs> on. Oh, did y'all put out like remixes and stuff on that site? It was remixes that we've done and they... Somehow, whoever put that together, because it was a Russian, it was a Russian site. It was something about Russia. Somebody over there had to be a really huge fan, right? And they they plucked everything. They got a hold of everything. And so, do you still have all of that stuff? 
Um, most of it. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. At the end of this, I'm gonna make sure you get my email. I'm buying it from you. <laughs> I need a, you laughing at me, bro. Don't do that. I'm dead ass serious. Look, uh, I and and the re, I need a lot of it because um during ready, the pay- we, get ready, we get ready to put out a lot of that stuff with Reservoir. Okay, remixes I, and all that. I need and those remixes. I need acapellas. I'm not talking right. about the. The the, the the AI assisted ones. I want the ones from the from the tapes like you have. Right. And, re- <laughs> and I heard you are rocking a lot of them because during the pandemic, you actually help a lot of people get through that with with your um with your Twitch with, with dugout. Thank you, thank you, man. Thank you. And and um, and and like for people who don't know, it was always a vibe. Like it's like oh he's just playing hip hop. I I turned on one time. I'm like wait a minute. This is a slow jam show and I'm rocking with it. This is, you know, like whatever mood you're in, that's yeah, that's, that's what, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it, it's the true art of DJing, in my opinion. My strongest opinion, I mean, the true art of DJing is the element of surprise. You know, it's right. not ta- it's not taking any request. It's playing your vibe as a DJ, your mood as a DJ, you know, um and and feeding the people what they actually need, you know? Yes. You know, um, Twitch, you know, here it is. I have been streaming online well before Twitch. Right. I actually, actually been one of the first to DJ online, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing Ustream back yeah. in like 2007, 2008, you know? And from Ustream on up, I had, that's, that's been away from me, you know. The internet, one, the internet has been a beautiful place for me. When right. people was calling it the graveyard, you know. Now everybody's on the internet, you know. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, but I have been, I've been a part of the internet world since dial-up, man. So, I'm not, I'm not foreign to this as, at, at all. It's been like home for me. I see the beauty in it all. I see the evil in it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but. It's all according to the person and how they use it. It's like a gun, you know what I'm saying? Gun don't kill people, people kill people. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And sp- you know, so. Speaking of the internet, now people have so many options. Like there's so many millions of people who never had the opportunity to hear anything outside of your more recent stuff or if they could find clips on YouTube or your stuff, but now you legit have all of the daylight stuff available on all of the streaming platforms. Yes. Um, so there are a lot of people who are, who are discovering you now, especially, mm-hmm. you know, you know they, they've seen social media, how happy people who, are, who knew you and people that they follow are, you know, that you have, you know, Daylight streaming. Okay, who's Daylight? Let me go back and check, check out their catalog. With that being said, um, you, you're in the game 30 some years. You're, you're definitely Hall of Fame, Hip Hop Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame material. What is it that you want the legacy of De La Soul to be? If somebody says De La Soul 30 years from now, what would be the epitaph? What would be written under the picture of you, Poss, and Dave? Um. Three guys that did it their way, you know, um, 
to be unapologetically black. Um, three black men who stuck together, you know, which is something that's very rare in 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 black culture. Period, and hip hop in particular. You know, our common goal was to be a group, and it stayed that way. You know. And it's going to continue to be that way until this one last living member. Okay. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. That's a good place to end it right there, man. That's a good place to end it. Man, Mace, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with us. Um, Hold on. Likewise, brother. I appreciate you, your love, your support. I, You know, I feel the energy off the screen. I see it in your face, man. You've been a supporter, man. So thank you, man. If I thank could get on... Um, one thank, thing you for letting, thank you for letting your audience, you know, know the scoop about us. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, by the way, this is for this thing we're doing with um, Odyssey. It's called Hip Hop Made. That's what all of these interviews are for. I'm getting the legends on, letting the legends talk, tell their stories. By the way, you had a story you never told before? <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Um... Mm, uh, I can't even really pluck one right now. Okay, a lot I, I, of, you know a what? Lot I, of them are, a lot of them are awfully provocative. <laughs> okay, how about this? One that I wondered about, I know you have to go. One that I always wondered about. There was a skit on one of the records about you getting jumped across oh, seas. Okay. Yeah, the art of getting jumped. Um, it's a really true story. I got jumped by a Turkish gang out in Germany somewhere, I want to say it was um, either Frankfurt or Hamburg. We was had an off day at some club that normally everybody would go to on their off day. This happened to be our first time going to the spot. This is where Cypress Hill would go. This is where would Ice-T would hang out when he's on tour. Where uh, Who else would uh, be there? Ice Cube, same, another one. You know, um, every now and again, P.E. would be at this spot. You know, a lot of us who toured internationally would kind of go to this spot. So this was like the first time we were going. And I happened to, we happened to be there around the time where there was a lot of racial tension, you know, um, between obviously Blacks and whites, but then also the Blacks and the Turkish. And I happened to run into an issue where they thought I was from deep Africa. Okay. They thought I was from Cameroon or somewhere. It just, I just was being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I got jumped. I got snatched into the club. They duffing me out. <laughs> they duffing me out, really. My eyes is all swolled up and everything. And sure enough, once we got outside of the main club into the corridor area where people coming in and out the club, the security there, the owner and all of them was like, yo, yo, that's De La Soul. And all of a sudden this shit stopped. But I still wanted to fight. Because right. I, I got my ass toe up and I really I really wanted to fight the person who actually set it off on me. You had so to get I, your points back. Well, you know, it was it was unnecessary. I, I didn't deserve that. So I needed some get back. But I didn't quite get it because as soon as I got outside, he pulled the gun in my face and he pulled the trigger and the, the gun didn't go off. So I just ran. I ran like hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those moments that you never forget. God, God, God spared me. I got spared that day. Really? 
So, I, you I know never, what? I never, I never would have put all of that the, together. The, the victory was in running. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to know when to run. Hey, man, who you telling? <laughs> all right. Um, one last thing I need from you. I just need you to say, hey, this is Maceo from De La Soul, and I'm hip hop made. Yo, this is Maceo from De La Soul, and I am hip hop made.